Good afternoon, folks. It's that time of the day again. It's time for the Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM Talk. This is your host, Sam DeMarco, and as usual, I'm joined in the studio by my trusty executive director, John Schneider, and our producer, the man who makes the magic happen, dazzling Daryl Grandy. Daryl and John, thanks for joining me today. Now, for our listeners, we're going to do something a little bit different today, and I think we have a, I'm going to call it a special treat, but I want to educate and inform our listeners on some things that are important here, and I believe that you should know, relative to where we live here in Allegheny County. I'm joined in studio by two guests here today. One is Laura Cherner. Laura is with the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh, and also with Julie Paris, who's with Stand With Us Together. Stand With Us. Stand With Us. Yeah, you know, there. <laughs> Folks, you know I'm going to fumble, but Julie and Laura, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate <laughs> Happy it. Happy to be here. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you joining us, and and one of the things, the reason I invited you, was I wanted to hear from members of the Jewish community, you know how folks were holding up, you know what they felt. We're just just a little over four months past the horrific events of October seventh, which not only was a horrific day for the people of Israel. We woke up here in Allegheny County on a Saturday morning to news of an horrific attack, but it was also the second deadliest attack, terrorist attack on Americans in history, exceeded only by 9-11. So I don't know that while folks are watching things nationally and you get a lot of news, I know that our listeners are informed, I don't know that they really understand how it's impacted people here in our community locally. And that's why I've asked you two young ladies to join us today to help share your stories you know, with our listeners. So Julie, go ahead. Thank go you. Ahead first. So um, just to give a little background uh, mm-hmm. into myself. So I was raised here in Pittsburgh. I grew up in Fox Chapel. Um, after, while I was in college, I studied abroad in Israel and then lived there for about five years after I graduated. Um, I lived all over the country and I have my master's degree from Tel Aviv University. Um, so Israel has always held a very special place in my heart. I have many friends who live there um, who have been directly impacted by the Hamas attack on October 7th. And my work also revolves around educating about Israel and fighting anti-Semitism. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Um, I think that I will, October 7th is a day that will uh, live on forever. Um, mm-hmm. It's a day that I will never forget. I remember I slept in a little bit. Typically, I wake up early. I slept in until a little after 7, and when I checked my phone, I had hundreds of, of messages and alerts. I get rocket alerts on my phone. So every mm-hmm. time a rocket is shot um, from, a, from a terror group, typically from Hamas um, in Gaza, mm-hmm. but also now from Hezbollah in the north, I receive a, a, a rocket alert. And I myself have been in Israel and experienced those rockets. Um, with my children, I have watched as the Iron Dome over my head protected us um, from a rocket that exploded in Tel Aviv just about a year and a half ago. Wow. Um, so I'm very, very well aware of um, what's happening in Israel. It's the first thing I do every day is check is check the Israel news. So I woke up and I said, why do I have hundreds, hundreds of alerts? I ran downstairs. I turned on I-24 News, mm-hmm. the news that I usually watch, and um, immediately crumbled seeing the Hamas invasion of Israel and what that looked like. This was not only on a Jewish holiday of um, Shavuot, this was also on um, Shabbat, and it was also happening while a, a huge rave was taking place in Israel's south, 
where thousands of young Israelis and others from around the world had gathered for a peace festival. Mm -hmm. Um, So as the events were unfolding, we were learning more and more about this covert attack that unfortunately Israel did not know was was going to happen. And because so many members of Israel's military were home celebrating the holiday with their families, uh, there was not uh, as fast of a response as we typically see. So this coordinated attack by Hamas terrorists happened uh, by land, by air, and by sea. It has impacted every Israeli. Um, On that day, over 1,200 Israelis were murdered, um, many of them tortured to death. Women and men as well were raped. Um, Children uh, were killed. And really unspeakable acts of horror that have never been seen before Mm -hmm. were not only um, perpetuated by Hamas, but gleefully so, and recorded proudly and broadcast across the world. Um, So I think it was a level of barbarity that even um, Israelis that have lived through so much, lived through terror attacks, lived through rockets, um, really unimaginable, um, just really attacks on on them, This, this level of barbarity shocked even them. And it has forever changed um, Israel and, and the way that I think we as a Jew- Jewish community feel um, as far as safety and security goes. And so I, I will personally never forget that day. Um, since that day, Israel has been in a defensive war, um, facing that existential threat from a terror group that has promised over and over again to repeat October 7th um, with a specific genocidal charter calling for the ethnic cleansing of Jews from the land of Israel and the attack of Jews around the world. And so I think for us, this sort of raises the hairs on my, mm-hmm. on my, on my, uh, on my arms. It sets off alarms um, and is very much reminiscent of um, past attacks such as the Holocaust that have happened to our people. So we take this very seriously. Israel is now in a war, not just for its own existence, but also a war as a front for the Western world, because they might be going for attacking Israel first, but they are coming for the rest of the Western world next. I can only imagine how terrible you must feel, because while I woke up and I looked at this, uh, as a former Marine, I pay a lot of attention to world events and things of that nature. But you, having gone through your background, you actually lived there. So these weren't the names of locations on a map, but these were places where friends and family and other folks that you'd gone to school with and things like that lived, you know? And I can, I mean, just the terror of, uh, you know, just waiting to, to hear from folks or trying to get a hold of people, you, you're getting messages that, from folks that you couldn't reconnect with and things of that nature. I can only imagine how terrible, terrible that day was. Um, absolutely. Israel is a very small country. Uh, we might disproportionately hear about Israel in the news, but actually um, Israel is made up of only 9 million civilians, 7 million of whom are Jewish, 2 million of whom are Arab, mostly Muslim, but also Christian Druze mm-hmm. and other minority groups. It is the only liberal democracy in the Middle East and represents less than 0.1% of all landmass in the Middle East. So you really can't even find Israel on a map. Now, what does that mean for Israelis? It means that much like Pittsburgh, we're all one degree of separation. So everyone knows each other, everyone has a connection to each other, and that creates a unique bond, um, but it also creates um, really a, a tragedy that does not allow anyone to escape from. Um, so on that day, we saw not just um, Israeli Jews being um, attacked, but also uh, Muslims, Bedouins, 
Christians and and also um, other citizens from around the world who had come to Israel, particularly for this peace festival. And so no one was immune. Um, and I know just the feelings of fear that I have, knowing that I have friends who have children's children serving in the the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, mm-hmm. on that day, over 300,000, within a few days, over 300,000 IDF reservists were called up to serve. Many came from abroad to serve their country. These are fathers, in some cases, grandfathers, mothers, pregnant women. These are, you know, in, in Israel, there's a, a mandatory yeah. army service. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also reserve duty, and many returned voluntarily to fight for their country. And, and that's the kind of place that it is. It's a place where people help each other, where people um, care for one another, and people really do want peace. And that's the ultimate goal, is that this, this is not a war that Israel wanted. This is not a war that Israel asked for. Um, but it was an, a war brought on by Hamas with the express purpose of killing as many Israeli civilians as possible. And if the IDF had not stepped in when they did um, to counter this attack, many, many, many more people would have been killed Uh because they would not have stopped until they finished their job. Now, you talked about how small of a country Israel is and how you talk about the small degree of separation between the people there. Uh, When the attack took place on October 7th, I knew it was a shock to our community here in Pittsburgh. I, I was on console during the Tree of Life uh, massacre and uh, was out at the emergency services center with County Executive Fitzgerald, you know, at the time, uh, going through that for the entire, for the two days that they were there. And uh, so I knew how close, how strong and vibrant and resilient the Jewish community was. But having gone through that, I, I, I couldn't imagine them being put through this again. And, and Laura, I believe I ran into you uh, on October 8th, you know, the, the following night, there was a vigil held at the Jewish community center. Mm-hmm. And I went out there just to try to sh- you know, show my support as well as others because, again, uh, when something so horrific you know, occurs here, folks need to recognize the difference between good and evil, and this was, was pure evil. And you know, what is your experience? What, what have, how does this affect you and your friends? You know, I, I, I couldn't really, um, I guess, describe it better than Julie just did. Um, I, I did see something a couple of weeks ago that I think said, like, good morning, it's October 118th or something. Like, mm-hmm. it just feels like we're stuck in this place of time since October 7th. And when it seems like the world has moved on or moved on to the next thing, the Jewish community is physically incapable of moving on because it feels so real and so present in every aspect of our lives. Um, and you mentioned uh, working with County Executive Richard Fitzgerald on October 27, 2018. And what I can speak to is, so I'm the Director of Community Relations at the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh. I was uh, working at the Federation when the shooting at the synagogue happened in, in 2018. And I don't want to create false comparisons between that shooting and what happened on October 7th. But what I can say is it really felt like it was reopening a wound for the community. At least I felt that way. I remember on October 27, 2018, um, that feeling of extreme sadness, anxiety, trying to organize as quickly as possible, do whatever I could in a situation that felt completely helpless. And in October of this year, I felt a lot of those same emotions. And I I think that that kind of explains what the global Jewish community is and Jewish peoplehood means. October 7th was the deadliest attack on Jews since the Holocaust. And so for a community that has been traumatized by anti-Semitism in the most horrible way possible, this really did feel like it was reopening a wound. And that's where the similarity begins here, is that in both of these cases, the victims were attacked solely based upon their religion. 
in the race. Uh, it wasn't because of you know anything that they had done. They weren't military members or things of this nature, but uh, you know just you know struck down you know many in the prime of life here you know um, because they were Jews, and it's something that you find unacceptable. But it also brings us back to why are we talking today? Because you know uh, the FBI has reported a surge in cases of hate crimes, cases of anti-Semitism that are taking place across the country. And, you know, when these things occur, folks may think it's a joke. Other folks may not think they're serious. But to the people that are affected, I mean, these things are serious. They they mean something. How, how do you, what are you hearing from the members of your community as to how they feel about their personal safety when they see, you know, things like that or they hear about things like that take place in the media. So we've seen a dramatic increase in anti-Semitic incidents across the country, but Pittsburgh is absolutely no exception to that. Uh, one of the things that we do at the Jewish Federation is we have a reporting mechanism to report and track incidents of anti-Semitism in the community. Um, so we've seen a dramatic increase since October 7th. The ADL has reported it's almost a 400% increase. Um, and so we hear from community members all the time that they do not feel safe. They don't feel safe wearing a kippah or being visibly Jewish on the street. We've had Jewish businesses, synagogues targeted um, in anti-Semitic threats or with flyering. And so there is a heightened sense of anxiety and fear and very, it is very much present that there is an increase in anti-Semitism. I think sometimes people are willing to dismiss anti-Semitism to say, oh, you just want to stop criticism of Israel or stop criticism of the Israeli government. That's not what's happening here. I can say without a doubt there's extreme anxiety and fear in our Jewish community because of a very real and present increase in anti-Semitism. Well, when you talk about that, you know, uh, listen, I think every government, it's fair to criticize, okay? <clears throat> but the murder of men, women, children, pets, you know, in Israel on October 7th and the, the barbaric manner in which so many of this was so much of this was carried out, the gleeful manner in which many of these terrorists, I mean, broadcast these killings or took photographs and put them on the victims' social media pages, you know, for their family members to. I mean, I have never, never in my life, and I've seen a lot, and I've heard a lot, have come across anything or heard anything so horrific, decapitation of infants. You know, uh, there was a report of an infant being placed in a microwave. I mean, it, it boggles the mind that evil exists in this world, you know, that could conceive or do something of, of that nature. Uh, and again, folks, uh, for our listeners here, this, this was an act of war. Israel was invaded. Their people were attacked, you know, and they are trying to defend themselves. We have uh, members of our community who would like to push resolutions or motions for ceasefires in Gaza and things of that nature, but there could be a ceasefire tomorrow if Hamas would return the hostages and surrender. And you've just heard from some of the members of our community you know, how both they feel and their fellow Jewish members in, in Israel feel. And here... Uh, we have them being attacked or being called out when all they're trying to do is survive. What would you want to say to her? How, how could our listeners, you know, how could they better support the Jewish community here in Pittsburgh or show their support? 
So I, I just, you know, there's, there's a few things I would say to that. Um, I think when October 7th happened, there was an awakening and we did find um, really some wonderful partners that stood with us and we were, you know, so, so grateful for those friendships and those allies. Um, unfortunately, we also found that uh, many people um, somehow found themselves siding with Hamas. Um, we have seen since that time um, some organizations who we thought uh, were our allies not supporting us. We have seen hundreds of thousands of protesters take to the streets around the world and on, in our own community in support of Hamas. Um, and so I think for me personally, that's a really incredibly jarring feeling to know that people are either um, misunderstanding the situation and viewing the, the conflict between um, Israel and Hamas through the lens of, sort of Western um, view. And that is not how this is. This mm -hmm. is not a, an issue of oppressor versus oppressed. Um, this is not an issue of colonizer versus colonized. This is a, a, an issue of, of human life. This is an issue, uh, this is a moral issue that affects us all because while they may come for the Jewish community first, they will come for the rest of the world later. And so um, just, you know, I'm so appreciative for the incredible friends that we have. And now we really know who our friends are. I think uh, as far as supporting us, the, what I would like to see is just listening to us, uh, listening to members of the Jewish community, listening to those of us who are part of this umbrella of Jews, which represents the majority of Jews who are Zionist, who believe in Israel's right to exist. Um, you know, Jews are often misunderstood. We are called a religion. We are an, an ethno-religious um, group with a homeland. Mm -hmm. We can trace our roots back thousands of years to the land of Judea. If you just look up Kingdom of Israel, you can see the earliest archaeological evidence of Jews being in, in Israel. And of course, if you look in the Bible, you can go way back to Abraham. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we are... We are an indigenous people who have returned to our land, and we want our story to be told, just as every group should be able to tell their story. Um, we want, when we say that there is anti-Semitism out there, and we identify what it looks like, we want you to believe us. And so I think for me, I would just like to continue to grow these friendships. Um, we are a very, very small population. We represent just 2.4% of the American population. Um, so we really rely on our friends and our allies to listen and also to really try to help us to better um, amplify our message and our story. Um, we've been very, very lucky in America to be so welcomed. This is really one of this is the, really one of the only places in the world where Jews have been safe, um, and that um, the American government has been incredibly supportive, and we're grateful for that. And we want to make sure that that continues. Laura, how about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I completely agree that allyship is so important in this moment. Um, like Julie said, we're a really small population, and so we can't fight anti-Semitism alone. It's mm -hmm. literally impossible, and uh, sometimes we call anti-Semitism the oldest hatred. So understanding how pervasive, systemic, societal anti-Semitism is, the Jewish community literally cannot do it alone. So allyship is so important. And Julie raised a great point about when we say something is anti-Semitism, we want to be heard and we want to be believed. Jews are the ones that can and should define what bigotry against us looks like, like any other group should be mm -hmm. able to do that. And too often, something that I'm hearing when I'm educating about anti-Semitism is, I don't see it that way, or that doesn't seem like anti-Semitism to me. 
And I would never presume to redefine a bigotry for another group. Like I'm hearing others attempt to redefine anti-Semitism for us. Um, on, on a basic level too, I, I would like people to educate themselves on what Zionism actually means. Zionism has become such a sadly demonized term and, mm-hmm. and it's been very confusing I think to us because the definition of Zionism is very simple um, yes it was a there was a reemergence as a political movement in the 19th century but ultimately what it means is support for a Jewish right to exist in a Jewish and democratic state of Israel um, that's it and whatever borders or political um, things happen in that encompasses Zionism, it's, it's all fair game. So it's a very simple definition. The vast majority of Jews support that goal and would identify as Zionists. So for Zionism to be so misunderstood and demonized, I think that's where a lot of the root of the anti-Semitism really comes. And, and that's a shame. I mean, we talk about, you talked about folks trying to define anti-Semitism to you, right? But yet when we talk about other ethnic groups, you know, when we talk about blacks, we talk about Hispanics, we talk about other groups in this country, we always talk about, well, we don't know what it feels like to walk in those shoes. So we allow them to define for us what they find offensive or not. And yet here, you're not given the same privilege or leeway to be able to do so. It's very disappointing. Yeah, and I I mean, there are, like Julie said, there are some wonderful allies and we really appreciate them supporting us and listening to us and hearing Jewish voices and amplifying Jewish voices. Um, But there are also people who are not willing to do that. Or one of the sad things that I've seen is really tokenizing some Jewish voices that are in a minority to say, I'm an ally of the Jewish community, or here's one Jewish person who's saying this, so therefore I have the right to say whatever I want. Right. Um, and that's not genuine allyship. That's not you know speaking or connecting with the Jewish community. That's not genuine allyship is what I should say. And so that's been very frustrating to see. I'll only work with a certain kind of Jew who fits my worldview while trying to uh, not work with the vast majority of the Jewish community on this issue. Well, and what's, I guess, surprising to me is um, you know, in the events since October 7th, as I've been out and about in the community, attending a number of vigils and things of that nature, I've also come across protests. You know, I uh, was going to one uh, vigil out in uh, Sunley Park, you know, and I had to go through Forbes Avenue and coming across. And there were a number of young uh, students from the University of Pittsburgh that were out protesting, you know, in support of pa- Palestinians or Palestine and ceasefire. And, uh, you know, it just struck me. I just, you wonder, like, as you guys have just been going through and educating us on what Zionism is, how many of these people really understand? You know, and Judy, you talked, or Julie, you talked about the history, you know, and the history of Israel going all the way back to Judea, okay? Uh, there has never been a country called Palestine, okay? And so when we're going to take a break in a few minutes here, when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. And then get your thoughts as, as this war has unfolded, you know, we see what's taking place in Gaza. What we're also seeing is that Hamas and a terrorist organization had built tunnels and infrastructure under every basic civilian, you know, building or, or, or that, that there was, whether it be hospitals, schools, and mosques. And here are these are folks that not only um, so cowardly and so evil to perpetrate the acts that they have, but yet they go back and hide behind civilians. You know, putting their own people in danger, trying to use them as human shields, and then trying to hold Israel. They don't care about their lives. They actually hope 
for casualties so that they can try to use those as a cudgel against Israel in public opinion or, you know, for political purposes and things like this. And meanwhile, the leaders of this terrorist organization, you know, have basically fleeced, you know, support organizations of billions of dollars and they're living in another country in five-star hotels, you know, billionaires because money that was given by countries across this world, you know, the United Nations that was supposed to help build up Gaza and better the life of the Palestinians was stolen from them. So it's, it's, when we come back after the break, I'm going to want to talk a little bit about that. And, uh, you know, again, want to understand from your perspective, you know, how do folks in the community feel about it? Do they feel that progress is being made? Is these things are being uncovered? Do they believe that people are paying attention to this and, and waking up to these things? Because, you know, for so long, I mean, you mentioned, Julie, earlier on about how you get rocket alerts. How, how many I'm people, how many, right of now, I'm getting them. Yeah, how many of our <laughs> listeners know that they have launched tens of thousands of rockets over the years here into Israel? And, you know, we talk about a ceasefire, and I said, you know, we could have a ceasefire today if Hamas would give back the hostages and surrender. Folks need to understand that Hamas violated nine ceasefires over the last 17 years. You know, it, the issue, in, in my opinion, folks, and it's fortunate I'm the host of the show, okay? <laughs> this this isn't on Israel, you know, for the ceasefire. They were the ones that were attacked. They're trying to defend their people and ensure that this never happens again. Folks, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Julie and Laura right after the break, but here on The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM and Talk 99.1 FM Talk. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room here on WJS 1320 AM. I'm your host, Sam DeMarco, and I'm joined in studio again. I was just talking with, with Laura Cherner from the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh and Julie Paris from Stand Together with us. Stand, Stand with, with us. us. Yep. Julie, before this show is over, <laughs> I am going to get that down pat. Okay. <clears throat> hey, listen. What, well, what Sam, you said? stand with us, so we really <laughs> I, appreciate well, no, it. So thank you. <laughs> yes, 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 I do. No, and, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here today and speaking with us and talking to our listeners. You know, and, uh, in the last segment here, I was talking about I was going to ask you a little bit to, to expound or expand upon the history of Israel there. I mean, so many people don't understand the situation in the Middle East. Like we were just talking here during the break about how Israel took and removed the settlers and left Gaza in 2005, you know, in the hope that the Palestinians could create and make a better life for them. And they elected Hamas, who hasn't held elections since. So you want to talk a little bit about that? So, yes. Yeah, so, so Israel's modern history um, is one of, of a lot of complexity and many wars, unfortunately, um, really starting in 1947 with mm-hmm. um, the Arab rejection of the UN partition plan, which divided Israel and Palestine, um, which then caused uh, multiple Arab armies to invade Israel. Israel fought a defensive war then, ended up winning that war and claiming additional territory beyond the measures of the UN partition. And since that time, we have seen um, multiple wars, mainly because of a failure to recognize Israel's right to exist. Uh, so uh, in some cases, it, you know, it's over land, but in other cases, it's just a refusal to live side by side with the state of Israel. Uh, with that said, we have also seen many uh, 
peace treaties and opportunities come out of that. We have agreements with Egypt and Jordan. Uh, we have the Abraham Accords, which mm -hmm. were signed in 2020, that have continued to hold strong despite pressure and despite um, circumstances since October 7th that have really um, tested those relationships. And we have seen that what peace can look like. When you have a partner, when you have leaders who recognize the value that Israel has uh, in its role in the Middle East, and also what uh, standing against extremism looks like. Um, so those countries that have peace agreements with Israel right now are wonderful, for the most part, wonderful partners, and also see the value in rejecting extremism and rejecting terrorism, who they themselves often have terrorists within their country, so they know what that's like. So it's not necessarily just about uh, rejection of, of living side by side. It's the right partners realizing the value and the relationship and how the Middle East can flourish with Israel as a partner. Um, and I think Israel has always extended its hand to peace. And we see 2005 as an example of that when the Israeli government chose to remove about 10,000 members of the Israeli community that were living inside Gaza in neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. um, they handed that, that, uh, that, that territory over to um, the Palestinians and encouraged them to build, uh, build a state, build what they wanted. And uh, they held elections in 2006. Unfortunately, those were the only elections that have happened um, in Gaza. Hamas was elected. And if you know the history, you know that Hamas is not a peaceful organization. Um, anyone that opposed them um, back then and even to this day has, been, uh, has faced imprisonment, um, has faced torture, and has even in some cases faced death. And so uh, we see that some of their political opponents have not uh, survived as a result of any sort of opposition. So it, it's very difficult to get a grasp on the Palestinian population, their feelings on Hamas. They don't know any other government, right? So some are Hamas operatives. Others are innocent Palestinians who are would like a better life, would like a better future, and may oppose the policies of Hamas. But who are they going to tell? Because if they try to tell, if they try to speak right. out, like we see Americans speaking out about the about the U.S. government, and certainly in Israel, you see Israelis taking to the streets, protesting their government. Um, the Palestinians don't have that luxury. Um, I think that we see an oppressive regime in Hamas, one that rejects um, liberalism, one that rejects democracy, one that rejects um, uh, any members of the LGBTQ community. They throw them from rooftops. Yes. Um, one that rejects really every everything I think that our social justice movements mm -hmm. today represent and protect is what Hamas is against. And so, you know, when we see things like uh, Queers for Palestine. I was just going to bring that up, it, right? It's like, how do you reconcile it's that? It's very confusing because they would be killed mm -hmm. if they went into Gaza and they wouldn't be able to freely speak out right. <laughs> against the state of Israel because they wouldn't be able to survive there. And so I think um, many of these um, more progressive groups that have uh, sort of chosen Palestine as a cause, for me personally, and I think for many Israelis, we're very confused because Israel has a, uh, you know, for all of its faults, it is a liberal democracy. It is a place where you can have freedom of speech, freedom of press, uh, where, where members of the LGBTQ community are very, you know, are very open and, and are able. Mm -hmm. Tel Aviv has, I think, the largest population of um, LGBTQ members, uh, well, certainly in the Middle East, but uh, in general, they host the largest parade of anywhere on that side of the world. And it's a life very similar to what we have here. So I think what we when we see social justice movements 
siding with Palestine, it's definitely an oxymoron because they would never, the you know, the God, Hamas would never <laughs> side with them. And so I think what we really want to do is just explain who were who were who were challenged what what were challenged with and so we feel I think I I know I feel for Palestinians that are stuck living under this oppressive regime who have nowhere to go um, Hamas not only as Israel announces makes um, grand announcements over the loudspeakers drops flyers um, makes phone calls urging um, Palestinian civilians to leave areas that they are entering to find Hamas operatives Hamas is not allowing them to leave mm-hmm. Hamas is putting their children in front of them, acting as human shields, they have no value for their life. And so I think, you know, from that perspective, we believe, and I believe personally, that by dismantling Hamas, we will create a better future for both Israelis and Palestinians alike, and hope to see a flourishing Palestinian society where they can be free and there can be these open exchanges. If you even look, uh, not happening as much right now, but prior to October 7th, there were so many um, opportunities for engagement where Israelis and Palestinians were coming together. And often what we saw was Israelis proudly in the picture, Palestinians had to have their faces blurred. We couldn't um, show their identity. And that's because if they were found to be even normalizing a conversation with an Israeli, they are risking their lives. And on the other side, we see Palestinian terrorists, and not just from Hamas, Mm -hmm. but from other terror groups like Islamic Jihad and and unfortunately other groups, um, are rewarded when they attack Israelis. Um, Not only rewarded as if they're suicide bombers or if they commit an act of violence, their families receive a stipend every month. I can't, I couldn't believe that. It's inconceivable. So these are people that are making pennies on the dollar. It's very hard to make a living. But if they commit acts of violence, they are then rewarded with a stipend for the rest of their lives. So there's a lot of incentive on them, right? And also, unfortunately, we see some really disturbing indoctrination happening within the Palestinian school system, um, within UNRWA. Um, I was going to bring that up. I think this this thing, the news media has shown a light. When you see directly under UNRWA headquarters, and that, for folks, that's the United Nations uh, organization that teaches, provides schools and infrastructure support there in Gaza, uh, they had a Hamas tunnel system, a server farm directly underneath. They were drawing power. You know, there's no way that the folks who were running UNRWA did not know that was taking place. But that's, that is common. You talked about the, the, the Palestinians and wishing a better life for them. <clears throat> but yet they're being used as human shields by Hamas, who builds tunnel systems and hides weapons, you know, in schools in civilian apartments, in, you know, underneath um, mosques, okay? Um, They use these and deliberately use their own citizens as human shields while they attack and try to commit barbaric acts against Israel with no concern for the safety of their own citizens, happy to use them as martyrs, again, as some some political or cudgel or toll. And I think it's also important to note that they, they teach their children often to hate Jews. And it's it's very, very difficult to undo that kind of damage. Um, you know, we've seen IDF soldiers finding Mein Kampf in Arabic on the mm-hmm. nightstands of uh, within these Palestinian civilian houses. We've seen un- UNRWA workers not only celebrating Hamas's massacre of October 7th, but actively participating in it. And as you mentioned, we found a recently the IDF found a Hamas headquarters underneath the UNRWA headquarters, in addition to over 400 
miles of tunnels, some eight feet underground. Right. So with these billions and billions of dollars of aid that have come in that could have built a Tel Aviv or a Dubai or or a New York City, instead they chose to invest only in their terrorist infrastructure, in buying weapons from Iran, and in um, launching attacks against Israel because their mission has never been, I mean Hamas, their mission has never been to develop a Palestinian state side by side with Israel. Their sole mission, and it has also not been to um, improve the quality of life of Palestinians. It has only existed to eradicate the Jewish state. And so that's what makes it really incredibly difficult and not something that we, living in the United States with this privilege that we have, have the ability to really understand. And, and, And folks, you know, 18 years after Israel left Gaza, you know, and left Gaza to try to build itself into something that Israel is proof of concept can be done there in the Middle East, they, they tore out their infrastructure, their water pipes to use for rockets. I mean, it, this, this, I don't believe the average listener, if you educate yourself on what's taking place over there and has taken place, can fathom, because we all want to raise our families. We want to all want to go to work We want, because there's dignity in work. You know, we want to be able to provide for our families, for their comfort and for their safety, and can envision what it must be like to live under these conditions where you're subject to rocket attacks and receiving alerts on your phone on almost a constant basis, your watch, you know, uh, and you're worried about the safety of your of your family. Laura, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, Julie and I are pretty much in lockstep on a lot of this. But, you know, what I will say is that um, I'm definitely pro-Israel, but I'm also pro-Palestinians. And I think that Hamas is fully in conflict with wanting to support a better life for Palestinians. And that has been one of the hardest tragedies to see. UNRWA is a perfect example of that, where you have an organization that in name is supposed to help Palestinian people provide social service agent or supports. And you find out that not only um, are they aiding Hamas, they're workers that are members of Hamas and right. actively supporting and contributing to October 7th. Um, And so this, to me, is just a failure of the international community. They've failed Palestinians, and their own government has failed Palestinians. So I think that's the only thing that I would add, is that um, being pro-Palestine, to me, is completely in conflict with being pro-Hamas. And that's, you know, we support Israel and we support Israelis. And being anti-Hamas, to me, is also supporting Palestinians. Well, I think think what you are, it's it's not pro one, it's pro-humanity, okay? You want the best for everyone out there, right? And you, you would like folks to get along, but at the same time, while people protest or, you know, folks try to get resolutions or things like this or, or these terrible acts, anti-Semitic acts are committed, you know, you're sort of stuck because it's not Israel or the Israeli government that isn't willing to work with someone. It's, it's Hamas, which to your point earlier, you know, has said that they would like to have in October seventh, every single day until they eradicate the Jews. It's my- how do you how do you how how does anyone reconcile? How, how, how do you work? How do you come up with a two-state solution when one state denies your right to exist? Yeah, I think um, it's like that classic phrase of when show, someone shows you who they are, believe, believe them. them. Yes. Um, Hamas has been very clear about their intended purpose and how they hope to see the eradication of Israel, um, the elimination of Jews from the state of Israel. It's very clear. Um, I've seen things that are like um, recently that say how the whole purpose of Israel is like 
for the survival of the Jewish people. We just want to live and pr- live in a place that is safe for Jews, our indigenous ancestral homeland. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Hamas, the purpose is anti-Israel. It has never been about you know supporting coexistence, supporting Palestinians that live there. It is a key tenant of Hamas to be anti-Israel and anti-Jewish existence in the state of Israel. So that is like a very clear distinction between the two missions. And Julie, you were going to say? Oh, um, I think that the only thing I can really add to that is that anti-Semitism morphs. Um, we, it's called the oldest hatred for a reason. Mm-hmm. And today, you know, we've seen this morphing take on a variety of, of different shapes, whether it's being hated for being our religion, being hated for at the times when we were when it was um, communism, we were hated for being capitalists. In the times of, of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, we were hated for for being seen as an inferior race. And today we see um, anti-Semitism coming from both the far left and the far right. And unfortunately, um, it's like an arc. And so the far left and the far right meet together and they find mutual interest. And that's where we really see that we're in trouble. Uh, Anti-Semitism today maybe doesn't look like it did in the past, but it doesn't make it any less serious. So today we see anti-Semitism both in the form of far-right attacks of of white supremacy and neo-Nazism, like we saw at the Tree of Life Synagogue. It's a perfect example. Jews will not replace us, as we saw in Charlottesville. And on the far left, we see anti-Semitism coming out of, in in the form of anti-Zionism, the refusal to recognize Israel's right to exist. And so when we identify criticism of Israel as compared to anti-Semitism, we look at the 3D test, which is created by Natan Sharansky, and that is delegitimization, double standard, and demonization. So when we see those things happening, when we see people marching in the streets, chanting for a free Palestine from the river to the sea, or making false accusations of genocide, apartheid, and settler colonialism, um, specifically targeting Israel. We'll see these lies being allowed to be perpetuated. We know that the dangers of this are grave for our community. And that's why it's so important for me personally to educate people about what these terms mean. I think it's easy to throw around around slogans and chants, Mm -hmm. but do people really know what they're advocating for? And I hope that when they learn what they're advocating for, they'll understand why it's so dangerous for our community and why this newest form of anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, is a threat to Jewish people everywhere. I think a perfect example of how this phenomenon of right, extreme right anti-Semitism and extreme left mm-hmm. anti-Semitism, um, an example of this recently would be the Boston Mapping Project. So what that was in Boston is um, a group of organizations uh, that would identify as anti-Zionist literally drew a map and mapped out every organization in the greater area that they identified to be a Zionist organization. So that included day schools, synagogues, Jewish Federation, and they put a literal map of these are the locations of Zionist organizations with whom you should not work. Um, three guesses who got this hands of this map got in the hands of this map. It was obviously white supremacists. So now you have white supremacists and neo Nazis having a map of every Jewish organization in the greater area. But this was created by so-called anti-Zionists. That is a clear depiction of where the overlap of anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism on the left converges with anti-Semitism on the extreme right. And also, I would say just yesterday, Modest Yahoo. If you're familiar with Modest Yahoo. Um, the performer, mm-hmm. he had um, a show canceled in Tucson, Arizona, and um, 
there are some discrepancies about why it was canceled. He had a sol several sold-out shows there. And basically, it was that people refused to turn out to work. Um, he's been very outspoken in support of Israel. Um, he himself is, is, is a very proud Jew. And uh, he, we are seeing these kinds of things happen where Jewish performers are being chastised or being demonized or not being even allowed to perform in front of audiences that want to see them just for being Jewish. Eurovision, too, with yes. trying to deny Israel from participating in the song competition just because they're Israeli. This is happening every day. There are so many incidents. I wouldn't even know where to start. I can tell Laura had mentioned that Federation has a reporting system. I, I would say I report, my, I myself report multiple incidents a week to this reporting system, just from local acts of anti-Semitism, whether it's graffiti, flyers. Um, we even recently saw um, uh, on campus at the University of Pittsburgh, there was a, a speaker um, who survived October 7th. A hero on October A 7th. hero on yeah. October yes, 7th. Was, yep. um, there was a massive protest of anti-Israel activists that were blocking the entrance to a Jewish institution, not allowing Jewish students to enter or harassing them and um, and attacking them verbally as they were walking in. Some Jewish students were brave enough to walk through this mob. Others did not feel safe doing so and turned around. This is anti-Semitism. Attacking Jewish students, walking into a Jewish building to hear from an Israeli speaker. And so it makes it more difficult. And when people replace the word Jew with Zionist, we know what they mean. This is the newest way to attack Jews without being called anti-Semitic. If you say, I don't, I don't hate Jews, I just hate Zionists. Well, most Jews are Zionists, and you certainly don't have to be a Zionist to be a Jew. And I hope, Sam, I hope you're a Zionist. Right? right? I hope does, most people in the world are Zionists. folks to recognize <laughs> their right to exist. Yes. So we want to really just make people aware <clears throat> of these terms and how words can lead to really dangerous action. And, and we saw that, of course, with Tree of Life. We've seen that really across the globe. Um, just a few days ago, uh, a Jewish man in Paris was stabbed six times. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen uh, in London, last I think it was last week, um, three Israelis were walking, after, uh, walking out of a bar, and they were um, speaking Hebrew to each other. They were attacked by about 20 people by a a mob, and they barely escaped with their lives. You're seeing this happen all over the place. And this is a perfect example of how attacks on Israel don't end with Israel. They flow over. And, you know, we, we don't want to see that. We want to see a thriving, um, you know, world peace would obviously be our ultimate goal. Uh, but we really want to see um, a, a, a rejection of extremism, a rejection of terrorism, and a rejection of hate of all forms. Well, I, th I think you, know, you could have said it better when you talked about that and we were talking here. You, you brought up folks not understanding what terms mean, you know, and they bring up the term here, genocide, and they accuse Israel of committing genocide in Gaza when the Israeli defense forces are doing something that no other army has ever done that I'm aware of. And like you said, sending text messages, you know, dropping no-knock, you know, uh, which are bombs that don't explode on the roof of a building to let the residents know that that is going to be targeted. Dropping leaflets, urging folks to evacuate and things like this. And so I, we can sit here and say that we know for a fact that Israel has lost sons and daughters because they have taken care to try to, to alert civilians, you know, to move. So it's the furthest thing from genocide you could possibly imagine. But yet on the other side, those are the folks who are actually committing genocide, the folks who refuse to recognize Israelis' right to exist, the people who are killing people just because they're Jews, right? It's, it's, it's sort of almost like a bizarre world. Things are like backwards here. And, you know, how do you get this? 
how do we get to this place? And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted, again, I wanted you to come here today is to help our listeners understand that while they may not see this on a daily basis, while they may not be aware of what's taking place, it is happening. And it's not just happening in an entire world away. You know, it's happening right here in our community, you know, and, um, you know, I would like them to pay attention to this, to do what they can. And as you said, I think I'm getting it here before the end of the show, to stand with us <laughs> or to stand <laughs> with you yeah. and the members, you know, of our Jewish community, you know, in a time of need, I, I believe everyone should feel safe. And this, this is everyone, you know, regardless of race, creed, whatever. Well, you, okay. you physically have stood with us. So I want to, you know, say thank you because, you know, I've seen you. We've had, uh, I think, on October 8th, we had a vigil. And then I also saw you at our one at Flagstaff Hill yeah. uh, maybe two weeks later. So not only do I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and talk about these issues and talk about what the Jewish community is experiencing, but also so appreciate your support um, as an elected official using your time to stand with the Jewish community and show support. That really means a lot. So thank you. You know, my pleasure. If you, Julie, if you had anything you want to leave our listeners with, what would you tell them today? So I would say, please continue to stand with the Jewish people. I spoke uh, right after October 7th. I spoke at a rally um, in Aspenwall, a rally in support of Israel. And I said, it's going to be more difficult to stand with Israel, right? Because we know that Israel is going to have to respond we know that Hamas has started a war that Israel it has to enter for its own survival. And unfortunately, we are now over four months in. We continue to have 134 hostages being held captive inside of Gaza. Um, you know, by a miracle, two were rescued last week on Sunday mm-hmm. evening. Um, but we continue to have 134 remaining captive. These are innocent men, women, and children who did nothing wrong, who have been held in inhumane conditions. We are hearing from the hostages that were released or were rescued about the just absolutely terrifying conditions that they were held in, Um, some in tunnels, others in homes of Palestinians, including UNRWA teachers, and the violence, the sexual violence, and the, the psychological terror, the physical abuse are something that we just we, we can never allow to happen again. And so I would ask people to please continue to stand with the Jewish community, learn about Israel, learn about Israel just, and, and, and it's not about unconditional support of Israel. It's really about understanding Israel and just as you would any other nation. Israel has a right to exist just as any other nation does. And in the meantime, I myself, um, working for Stand With Us, we will continue to advocate for helping people to better understand things. I would encourage people to follow my organization on social media. We put out factual, nonpartisan information, explaining terms um, that we see all too often being chanted. um, And we really want to give people a broader perspective on the situation on the ground and how they can be active partners and active friends. And as Laura mentioned, we, we are too small of a people to not rely on our friends. We need you. And we need you to tell our story and we need you to lift us up. And part of that involves us sharing our pain with you. So I really want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here and and Laura as well, just being able to have the opportunity to share why we are so scared, Um, why I hear people saying, should I allow my child to wear a Jewish star to school? Should I take my mezuzah off the door? Um, Can I hang an Israeli flag um, on my car? 
And so I think that there's a lot of ways that we're trying to um, make the community safer, but we need your help to do it. Well, I want to thank you both for appearing on our show. I hope our listeners have learned a lot from here. And I hope, you know, that they can go out there and understand what the, how the community feels and to support the community, you know, by standing with you. Okay. Folks, as always, when we start talking, I get carried away. Time runs long. We run out of time. That's all we have today for the elephant in the room. Until next week, this is Sam DeMarco signing off for the elephant in the room on WJAS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM Talk. Have a great weekend.